0: I believe God can move some mountains, break down some barriers. I believe God can build up, fix some broken things, mend some sick. I just, I, He said it and I believe it. That was enough. But I like the second part. You said it and it's done. It don't matter if you believe it or not. If God says it, it's done. So if you want to look at our text this morning in 2 Kings chapter 2, I want to begin reading in verse number 1. We have here in 2 Kings two of the most incredible prophets in all of the Old Testament in Elijah and Elisha. We're going to spend most of our time looking at Elisha this morning, but before Elisha became this great man of God, before he became this this, this, this powerful man, he was a student. Here in chapter 2, 2 Kings, verse number 1 says, It came to pass that when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said unto Elisha, Terry, here I pray thee. For the Lord hath sent me to Bethel, and Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. I want you to remember those words. They're going to come into play before we get done. So they went down to Bethel. The sons of the prophets who were of Bethel came forth to Elisha and said, unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. He said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and Said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. He said, As the Lord liveth, as my as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they two went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood <clears throat> to view to view afar off and. They, too, stood by Jordan. Elisha took his mantle, wrapped it together, and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither so that they, too, went over on dry ground. It came to pass it. And they were going over. Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Ooh. You're talking about the man that called fire down from heaven. You're talking about the man that took on the 450 false prophets of Baal, had them all killed. You're talking about the one that had all the water poured out and saw the fire lap it up. He said, I want a double dose of that. Whew. He said, Thou was asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, and horses of fire, and part of them both asunder. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said where is the lord god of elijah and when he also had smitten the waters they parted hither and thither and elisha went over when the sons of the prophets which were to view at jericho when they saw him they said the spirit of elijah doth rest on elisha they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him i want to look for just a few minutes at a message this morning, it has to begin at the beginning. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for your sweet, precious Holy Spirit in this place. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, God, for your moving. Thank you for your power. God, I pray above all that you'd be pleased this morning. God, I pray that everything we do bring glory and honor to your name. God, I would ask you to move upon us, your sheep, God, I pray that you'd move upon each one. Father, I pray that walls would be broken down, sicknesses would be healed. I pray that lost souls would be saved, that mighty things would be done. God, you're not just an Old Testament story. You're our today God, the one that we can give all of our hopes and all of our cares and bring every petition to and know that you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. God, I pray right now would you take your word according to your own word, and I'll cast it out that it not return void. But may it accomplish those things which you set forth to do on this day. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in the precious, sweet, holy name of Jesus, that one name that is above all names. Thank you so much in that name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. The story of Elisha actually begins in 1 Kings chapter 19 when God has told Elijah to go and and anoint Elisha and call him into the ministry. And we see that Elisha immediately takes his plows and he breaks them up. He builds a fire and he sacrifices his oxen unto the Lord. That is what a complete surrender looks like. When God has a call on someone's life, this is going to go ahead, get personal, right out of the gate. When God has a call on your life, God called this man's life and right out of the gate... He got rid of everything that tied him to the world. He said, here I am. Here am I, Lord. Send me whatever it is that you have for me to do. Now, we, we see here in chapter 2 that Elisha becomes a great man of God. But before he was a soldier, he was a servant. In verse number 14, we see, I guess, what would be the first miraculous act of Elisha. He's taken Elijah's mantle, smote the water. The Jordan River did part yet again, and then he crossed over on dry land. If you look a few verses on down, I think it's around verse 19 through 22 in there, he does another miracle. He goes back with those 50 prophets of Jericho, and the water there is bitter, and he smites the water, and he turns the bitter water into drinking water for the people of of Jericho. So you see some some miracles get started. But then in chapter 3, there's an amazing story I want to look at for just a minute. The king of Moab Uh, uh, Moab has come against the king of Israel. He's come together to to destroy Israel. and So the the king of Israel teams up here with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they set out to do battle against this king of Moab. Now the Bible says that after seven days of marching in the wilderness, they go out. They're out of water. They have no water to drink. They have no water for their cattle. They have no water for any of their beasts. So, So they come together. Verse number 10, Jehoram is king of Israel. It's important to point out a couple things before we read it. Jehoram is not a godly king. He does not follow the things of God. His daddy did not follow the things of God. His mother did not follow the things of God. He was not leading the nation of Israel to follow the things of God. Jehoshaphat is king of Judah. Jehoshaphat is a godly king. He is leading Judah to follow the things of God. So we have two very different kings right here. Verse number 10 of 2 Kings chapter 3. The king of Israel said "Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings to To deliver them in the hand of Moab, right out of the gate, that hits me. Oh, I mean, he goes out, he's not a godly king, he's not giving credit to God for goodness, he's not giving credit to God for grace, he's not giving credit to God for power, he's not giving credit to God for mercy, but he's giving credit to God for sending them out to destroy them. Isn't it just like the people we work with? A lot of them know about church. A lot of them know about the things of God. A lot of them grew up. They've heard the name Jesus. They know about salvation. They'll mock you, tear you down, wonder why you get up, wonder why you're excited about church, wonder why I'm excited about the hoppers next week. They want to know why we're excited a month ahead of time but, but because the, we got some groups coming and got a revival coming. We were making plans, and somebody said, um, when, what night is the Super Bowl? And almost in one accord, everybody said, who cares? To be honest, people in the world will look at you, and they'll tear you down that you're excited about coming things to church. But you let hell knock on their front door, and you see who they come to. Oh, will you pray for me? I need you to have your church pray for me. We got all this going on. So what we have is this ungodly king, and he goes out, and as soon as things get bad, he's given God no glory. He's given God no credit, but he wants to blame things on God. But Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord? That we may inquire of the Lord by him. And one of the king of Israel's servants Samson, said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, went down. Verse number 13, Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father, to the prophets of thy mother. The king of Israel said unto him, Nay, For the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Let me pause right there again. If that were the case, he's wasting his time. If God sent them out there to be destroyed, they have no way out of it, no hope. It's all said and done. But he's got his mind made up that God's done these things, and he sent us out. But Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. It came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, You shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. This is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites. Also, into your hand. I would imagine that would seem like a very strange solution to the problem. I would imagine that seems like a very weird kind of thing. If you remember three weeks ago, we looked at Jehoshaphat going into battle and he's nervous. They're coming up against a great multitude. Three kings have come together against little Judah, against Jehoshaphat, and, and the Lord said, It's going to be okay. Just praise me. And their little old army there in Judah went out, and if you remember, he put the choir out in front of the army, and when the choir went out singing and rejoicing before the Lord, the armies of the other kings began to fight against themselves, and all of them were smitten, and Judah did prevail because God gave a weird command. You just exalt me, and I'll take care of the rest. So here we have kind of a Weird command. They're faced with a battle. The king of Moab and all this great army has come against them. And and Elisha says that the Lord said, just go out there and dig some ditches. This is a faith test. Same kind of test that you and I faith. This is no different. It's a big story in the Old Testament. But we can relate this stuff to our lives. God isn't going to do anything until they dig the ditches. If they don't dig any ditches they're not going to see God do any miracles. If they don't dig some ditches, they're not going to get any water. This is a test of faith. If they will, by faith, dig the ditches, God's going to fill them with water. Sometimes God can't send an answer to our prayer because we ain't dug the ditches yet. Sometimes God can't do something miraculous Something on a grand scale because we've not yet done the little thing that he told us to do. Real faith works when real faith believes and works. The, the the Bible even tells us that that you show me thy faith by thy works. There's a couple of problems that that we face when we're dealing with faith. I, I want to look at them to be honest, they're they're opposite. I'll go ahead and tell you that before we start so you don't have to say those things are opposite of each other. I'll go ahead and tell you now. They're opposite of each other, but they're the same thing. Many times we don't dream big enough. When we don't dream big enough, that's because we fail to acknowledge who God is. We fail to acknowledge that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or what. I can't even think of the things that that God can do. So when we don't dream big enough, we're, we're, we're putting limitations on an unlimited God. You've heard me say it a lot of times, if you think God gave you something to do and you yourself can do it, it wasn't from God. If you think God gave you something to do and you know you cannot accomplish it without the providential hand of God intervening and doing it through you, now you got something cooking. Now you got something going on. God has begun to do some things. A lot of times people start ministries... We got to dream big, but I told you it was opposites. You got to dream big, but you got to be willing to start small. You got to have big dreams with a small mindset. People a lot of times start ministries, they'll come to the office, we'll talk, we'll talk on the phone. Hey, God, give me something. We'll talk a little bit, we'll pray about it. And, and I'll give them this listen, go. Go pray about it till God gives you a name and a scripture to support what you want to do. And God has given you those things. Come back and let's talk. And we see people put these ministries into place, and people begin ministries, and you see them last a short time, or maybe a year, maybe two years, and there's a ministry, and, and all of a sudden it begins to taper off and, and you see it goes away. People, people want to start out huge right off the bat. It's gotta be big. Right out of the gate. People have a vision for something to be big, and it might well be if God gave you a big vision, but that doesn't mean we start out on top of the hill. That means we gotta dig the ditches first. And the only way to dig a ditch is one shovel scoop at a time. Whatever you're using, it takes. One scoop at a time. We can't expect God to use us for big things if we're not willing to start out by doing the small things. So faith dreams big, but it's willing to start wherever God says start. God shows the kings of these three nations. He says, you and all your men, you go out and dig the ditches. And when I have seen your faith, I'll take care of the rest. There's another story here in chapter 4, if you want to move on down Second 2 Kings. It says in verse number 1, There cried a woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Now thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. The creditor has come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. He said, i going to take my sons and make slaves out of them because I don't have any money and I owe him money. Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? She said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. He said, Go. Borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. See, that sounds like another weird request to me. I'm broke. I don't have anything. Man wants to take my son. I got this little pot of oil, but it don't do any good because I don't have any meal to make cakes with. So I got a little pot of oil, but I can't cook anything with it. And he goes and tells me to borrow a bunch of empty vessels. And fill my house up with these big empty vessels. But verse number four of 2 Kings chapter 4 says that when thou art come in the house, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy son, shalt pour out into all the vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. Now, wait a minute. I got a little pot of oil. I got a house full of empty vessels. And I'm going to take my little pot of oil and I'm going to pour it into the first vessel, and there's going to be about that much in the bottom of that first big vessel. And I'm going to spend all my time explaining to God, what do you mean? God, you see how much I got? That ain't gonna fill that pot. There, there's got to be a better answer than that. It's got to be something different. Seems weird to me. <clears throat> she went from him and shut the door upon her and her, her sons. Or verse number four, I come in and shut the door upon her sons. Bar the vessel, said he said, set aside that which is full. Verse number five says she went from him and shut the door upon her and her sons who brought the vessel to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there's not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. She came and told the man of God. He said, go, sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children on the rest. See, a lot of times I feel like I I just preach to me, and you guys can tag along if it applies anywhere. We feel like we don't have enough we have what we have but we don't feel like it's enough my my little pot of oil ain't gonna take care of all my bills my little pot of oil ain't gonna put food on the table my little pot of oil ain't gonna keep gas in my car and get me to the places I gotta go I got what I got, but it's not enough. But when we look at our situations, I hope somebody in here is still awake. Don't let me put you to sleep before I even get started. When we look at our situations, God sees them differently than we do. What we see as a problem, God sees as an opportunity. When we can't figure out how anything's gonna work, God says, Now I got your attention. Now we can do some things all throughout the scriptures. Old Testament and new, we see that God is a God that specializes out of doing a whole lot with a little bit. Just like with Elijah before Elijah even came along and he sent him over to Zarephath at that widow woman's house. And he tells her to make him something to eat. She said, look, all I got, a little handful of meal and a couple drops of oil. I'm going to make these two cakes. My son's going to eat them and we're going to die. He says, no, you're going to go make me some first. She goes in there and makes them for a couple of years. They live there, and all three of them eat, and the meal never wasted. The oil never ran out. What he says right here is you go in there, and you fill them all up. And, and he filled up all the vessels. They sold the oil for enough to pay off their house pay off their cars, pay off their student loans, pay off their medical bills, and pay off their credit cards. Glory to God, hallelujah, sweet Jesus. They paid off everything that they owed, and there was enough money left that she and her two sons didn't go out and get a job. They lived the rest of their lives on what God did right then. Oh, when we feel overwhelmed and we feel like we've run out of options, we're just getting to the place where God can show up and do something great. Verse number 8 tells us about a Shunammite woman. It says that this Shunammite woman loved the Lord. She served the Lord. It says that every time Elisha come by, she fixed dinner for him. It says that he ate bread at her house with her and her husband. She loved Elisha so much that they made a, a room there in her house. They had a bed so that every time he comes that he can sleep there on the bed, he, and he comes by. But verse number 14, 2 Kings chapter 4, has to, yeah, it says that Elisha, he's talking to um, Gehazi. He says, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. He said, call her, and when he called her, she stood in the door. And He said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. She said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. The woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said in her according to the time of life. So, so what we have, can, can I just assume some things here? I assume this woman is at least elder somewhat. It says that her husband is old. Uh, it, 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 we know that she doesn't have a child. We can tell that from the conversation, which means either she's barren or her husband is sterile, but nonetheless, we know by her response, we can conclude that that there's a reason that they have no children. We can also conclude by that response that it's not because she hasn't asked God for it. She has prayed and she has desired children for years, but her prayers seem to be unanswered, so she's give up on her prayers. She has accepted the fact that she doesn't have any children? She's not going to have any children. Now I'm just assuming these things based on her answer. Elisha says about this time next year you're going to have a son. She says, "Don't, don't, don't lie to me. Man, you, you don't know what kind of heartstrings you're touching right there. You don't know how many hours I've prayed. You don't know how many tears I've cried. You don't know how many nights I've gone to bed brokenhearted. Don't, don't, don't mess with me." Don't, don't play with me about this. See, she has done everything that she knows to do, and now she's accepted the fact that this one thing that I really wanted, God's not going to do that for me, but she's okay with that. She's serving God with everything she's got. She's got a bedroom in the back. She's got a place for the man of God to sleep. She fixes him food every time she comes by. She's not mealy-mouthing, poor-mouthing about, God didn't answer my prayer. God didn't give me my son. God didn't give me. She's just doing the best she can with what she's got to do with. I have no doubt that every one of us in this room, everybody on live stream, everybody out there, we've prayed for things that we thought God just wasn't going to do. We've sought God, prayed, we've cried tears, we've laid awake at night, we've done things. And and here's the truth that I bet most everybody in here, maybe you'll be like me, sometimes way on down the road, God answered what we prayed back then. And then all of a sudden, one day we're doing something awesome, we realize, hey, I, I remember praying for that. I remember expecting God to knock a wall down and me see it move. But, but what I can see now, I just realized that one brick at a time, he gradually took it out of the way so that it's gone. All I'm saying is sometimes God answers things in God's time, and we look back, and now we got to go back and thank God because he did something years ago that we asked, and, and we didn't even realize it at the time. The next few verses here, it says that the child goes to his father, says, my head, my head, his head's hurting him, it's killing me." sends him in the house to go and be with his mom. His mom says... Come here, baby, come in and sit in my lap. Climbs up in his lap and the boy sits there and dies. She and one of her servants, they take off headed to talk to the man of God. They come to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Elisha saw her coming and he told Gehazi, he said, go out and check on her. I see that Shunammite woman, go out and check on her. Gehazi says, is it well with thy husband? She said, it is well. Then he says, is it well with thy son? I don't know that I can understand her answer. She said it is well. So Gehazi lets her come on to to Elisha. Verse number 27 of 2 Kings chapter 4. She comes to the man of God, to the hill. She caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. She comes up and grabs him, and Gehazi says, no, no, you can't touch the anointed of God. you got to come back. But Elisha says, oh, no, you leave her alone. Boy, there's something wrong here. There's something vexed her soul. She's got something serious going on. It says, the Lord has hid it from me. I have no idea why she's coming. He's not told me. She said in verse 28, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins, take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou made any man salute him not, if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. Elisha says, you don't talk to anybody. You don't have time for conversation. You don't have time to be neighborly right now. You get to that child. If they speak to you, you just wave and keep right on riding. You get to that child. You take this staff and you lay it on that child's face. Verse number 30. The mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth. I will not leave thee. You remember what I told you to remember Elisha said to Elijah? She spoke the exact same words to Elisha about going with Gehazi back to the house. Lord help us. Verse 31, Gehazi passed on before him, laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him. He told him, saying, The child's not awakened. When Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. Twice the man of God went into the room with that boy, prayed for that boy, and that boy still dead. Verse number 34, he went and lay upon the child, put his mouth upon his mouth, eyes upon his eyes, hands upon his hands. He stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, went up, stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes, and he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was coming to him, he said, Take up thy son alive. I want to look at something Really important for you and I in this story right here. It says that Elisha, the man of God, sent the mantle. Remember the mantle? It's the one that Elijah had that he touched the Jordan River, and the Jordan River parted, and they crossed on dry land. When God took... Elijah up, he dropped the stick back down. He said, take this and carry it with you. Elisha now has the stick. He smote the Jordan River, and the waters parted. He went back and he smote the bitter water, and the water became clear there at Jericho. This is that same stick. He says, I want you to carry it. I want you to lay it on that boy, and everything ought to be fine. He carried it and laid it on that boy exactly like he was supposed to, and the boy is still dead. He comes by and he says, it didn't work. Hey, so I'm I to go to myself. The Bible says that the great prophet of God, the one who has a double portion of the man that called fire down from heaven, walked into that boy's room and prayed. I'm sure that was an earnest prayer and crying out, Oh, God, oh, God, don't do this to this woman. You, you made a promise. I put it there. But the boy is still dead. The Bible says that he did that twice. He goes back in again, and he prays. I can't imagine anybody in here being more powerful than the man of God, having that kind of connection into the throne room of grace that we might obtain mercy. I can't imagine any of us in here being more powerful than that. He went in a second time, and he prayed. Then the Bible says that he went in, and he laid on top of that boy. That didn't do anything but transfer some body heat. The Bible says there that he does something that I can relate to, and I'm sure you can as well. The great prophet of God is pacing the floor. The Bible says he's walking to and fro in the house. God, I've been in there. I've prayed as best as I know how for that boy. God, he's still dead. God, I've gone back in there a second time. And, and, and the boy is still dead. God, I, I've gone back in there. I've laid on top of the boy. I've cried out. I've tried breathing into his mouth. I don't have the breath of life in me. You have all that. Anybody ever paced the floor before? Anybody ever been so upset about your situation, so concerned that you walk in the floor talking to God? So the Bible says that he's pacing back and forth. He, he goes back in again. And he lays on the child again, and the child sneezes, which is a sign of breath, which is the sign of life. What we see in the man of God is persistence. Don't give up. One of the greatest prophets in all the Bible that you could think could have spoken one time, and it would have been done, He's had to make multiple trips into this boy's room. He's tried three different things, <clears throat> the stick, the prayer, and then he's had to go back in and lay on him. All I'm saying is that he just kept on praying. It's important to notice because probably every one of us in this room have been in those situations where we've asked God for something and it didn't happen. And you kept asking, listen, let me tell you this. If God says no, just like with the Apostle Paul when he said three times I prayed about a thorn in my flesh, God said no. Don't ask me about it again. God tells you no, drop it. Move on. If God hasn't told you no, then keep going back in the boy's room. Keep going back in there laying on the boy. Keep going back in there and praying. Whatever it is that you're begging God to do, you've got to be like the prophet. If God hasn't said no, then you just keep on going back into the throne room. God will answer sooner or later. He'll either answer your prayer or He'll tell you no. God always listens to the prayer of His children. Many times, as long as we still have options, as long as we still have a way that we think we can take care of this, as long as we still have ideas on how I can provide a solution, even if it's a long shot, even if it's a long shot, as long as I still have an idea of how I might can fix it, I'm not ready for God to show up and fix it yet. When everything is spent, every dime is gone, every measure has been followed, and everything is exhausted, and we have nothing left, we're just getting ready for God to show up. Chapter 5, there's another man. If he wants to see a miracle, he's got to do something just to him. It seems absolutely weird. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, Naaman, captain of the host king of Syria, was a great man with his master, honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Verse number 2, the Syrians had gone out by companies, brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. She waited on Naaman's wife, so they've taken this little girl. She's a handmaid. She's a servant of Naaman's wife. And it says that, that she said unto her mistress, would God... My Lord, there were a prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. This little girl told the wife of of, of Naaman. He says, "You need to tell him to go see this prophet; and he can take care of things." So, verse number eleven, Second Kings chapter five. <clears throat> no, let me back up. I don't want to get to that first. I got I got to get him there before I can get him mad. Verse number two said the Syrians had gone up by colony, brought away captives, said their mistress. Naaman goes out. Verse number eleven. Naaman was wroth. He goes to the prophet, Elisha, and Elisha says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go dip in the old muddy Jordan River seven times. Now let me get to verse number 11. Naaman was wroth. He went away and said, Behold, I thought surely he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Parfar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. His servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? He went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. His flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. But he went back to say, I'm sorry for getting mad. And he went back to say, Glory to your God. Verse 15, He returned to the man of God. He and all his company came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing Of thy servant. Here's what I see in this story, possibly for all of us, but at least for me. Naaman had his own expectations of how he expected God to take care of his problem. I go to God in prayer. God hears all the details, got it all worked out right here. I need you to do this, 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 and this. If you'll just sign it at the bottom, we'll be good. God doesn't sign off on my checklist. What God needs is me to come in and say, God, I got leprosy. I have no idea. Can you heal it? And let him tell me, yeah, go down there and jump in that old muddy Jordan River seven times. See, we we go to God not with an open mind, open heart. God, what are you trying? If I have something going on as a child of God, I can rest assured God brought me to here that he might deliver me through here. (coughs) God has made a point to bring me into a spot, to put me right here, to get my undivided attention. And now that God has my attention, I want to come to God and say, Hey, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. That God says, No, no, you ain't got there yet. Let's break a little bit more. Let's mar the vessel a little bit more. Let's start again to make a new vessel that seems good to the potter. Let's get back wherever, we can start all over. When we go to God, we need to go to God broken. God may give us something to do that makes no sense at all. At some point, we either have been or we will be told by God to do something that don't make any sense. But if we know that God said do it, it doesn't have to make sense to us. We just have to do it. Get to chapter 6. Let me just share a couple more ways. This this is possibly one of the weirdest miracles in the Bible to me. But here's why I think it's important. Let let me read the story, and then I'll tell you why I think this this little bit of a weird story matters. 2 Kings chapter 6, a group of men are out cutting down some trees, felling trees. And one of the young men's axe head falls off into the water. He obviously had borrowed it from somebody else. So verse number 5, as he's fell in the the axe head fell in the water, and he cried and said, A lost master, for it was borrowed. The man of God said, Where fell it? He showed him the place. He cut down a stick, cast it in the other, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. You know what that tells me? The axe head ain't gone. It's just right there. I mean, if he took out his hand and took it, it can't be very far from the bank. Obviously, he ain't getting in the water. He'd done been in there looking for the axe head. So, so I mean, it, it's just it's just right there. But I don't know what the value of an axe head was in that day. I don't. Maybe it was pretty important. Maybe it was something pricey. I don't, I don't know. But, but to me, it, it's just an axe head. Go right there out right of drive. Hang a right. There's Ace Hardware on the left. There's Home Depot right up there past it. I'm, I mean, it's just an axe head. Uh-uh, y'all, y'all with me? I'm just, in my mind, I'm thinking, how big of a deal can it be? That's why I say this when I say this like I say this. I was going to preach this message three weeks ago, and they were going to sing the song, If It Matters to You, It Matters to the Master. But we didn't get to have church, and last Sunday I didn't get to preach. So I've had this one for a minute. It wasn't nothing but an axe head. Doesn't matter if it ain't important to me. Doesn't matter if it's not important to you. Doesn't matter if it wasn't important to anybody else around him. It was important to him. And if it's important enough to you to take time to go into the throne room of God, if it matters to you, it matters to the master. And if we just take time to take it in there, God takes time to do something about it. Now, I'm not one that believes in coincidences. Let me just go ahead and put that out there. I don't believe, especially for children of God, I don't believe in coincidence. I, I do not believe in good luck and bad luck, good fortune, bad fortune. I, I don't believe in that. I believe in blessings. I believe in trials. And I believe that's for the child of God. That, that's, that's where we live. So in chapter 8, the Bible says that there's a Shunammite woman. Guess who she is? You, you remember the one that had the house where Elisha stayed? Remember the Shunammite woman, you know, had the son, the son died, and Elisha had to do all that. So there's a famine coming, and Elisha's told her, you need to go to the land of the Philistines and stay there seven years because this famine's coming. She's gone. In the seven years, all of her land is gone. She wants to come home because the famine is over. So she's wanting to come back to the land, but she's wanting to get her house back. She's wanting to get her land back, the place where her elder husband was. She wants to get there, but she's got to go to the king and ask for this stuff back. Now, Gehazi, he's there with the king. He's telling the king the story about this Shunammite woman. He's telling about how she took care of the prophet of God, how she took care of Elisha, how Elisha promised a son, and the son died. He's telling the whole story. She's been gone. And while he's talking to the king, who you think shows up? The Shunammite woman to ask for her land back. Coincidence, right? If you live in that world, it might be. But the providential hand of God comes back, and now she gets all of her land back. It's like, man, the timing of that was perfect. That's because the timing of that was godly. We got some of those things in our own life. I've had times in my life, I'll let you raise your hand if you agree. I've had times in my life when I felt like God didn't show up. God didn't answer. I've offered him every solution on the planet, and he ain't done none of them, and I'm finally so broken. When I decide it's past the point, it's too late, nothing's going to happen, then God showed up and made a way out of nowhere. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The last miracle of Elisha comes after he's dead. He's not even here anymore. It says in chapter 13 of uh, for, or Second Kings, verse number 20, that Elisha died. They buried him, and the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of the year. It came to pass as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men. They cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. You know you're a prophet of God when your dead bones is bringing people back to life. One of the greatest prophets that, that ever lived, but he did not start out a prophet. He did not start out a mighty man of God. He did not start out a great miracle worker. He started out as the water boy for Elijah. Our text said in chapter 3 and verse 11, Jehoshaphat said, Is it not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the kings of Israel's servants answered and said, Here's Elisha, son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was Elijah's servant. He learned how to serve God. He learned how to be a mighty man of God. He learned how to have faith. He learned how to just keep on trusting God. He learned how to just keep on going back. He learned how to be faithful by watching. He watched Elijah. Now, honestly, we don't have any Elijahs around here to watch. But there are some incredibly godly people in this room. There are a lot of you that I can learn from. There's a lot of you that each of us can learn from. There are a lot of godly people around us there, there are a lot of godly people that, that we can learn things from when god gives us ministries sometimes the things he tells us to do doesn't make sense but here's the automatic okay i know that god has given me this to do so if i just go ahead and do it it's going to be great it's going to be an instant success that's not necessarily true God works in God's time. It it is my desire that everybody in this church be involved in at least one ministry in this church. Whatever it is. But here's what I know. There are a whole lot of amens across this room that can come out right here. There's a whole lot of amens that are back in some treehouse ministries and middle school ministries right now that can come out of this. But the ministry you serve in today just might be the ministry you lead tomorrow. There's a whole bunch of you right now that are leaders in this church that we started the water boy. We started being the one that that, that brings it in, but we learned how to serve by serving. That's how spiritual leaders are formed. They learn by serving. If somebody believes they're too good to serve others, too good to follow somebody else, they're probably not going to make that good of a leader. What we see in the life of Elisha is there can be a lot of waiting time when it comes to serving God. It's not sitting and wasting waiting time. It's just doing whatever God gives you to do at the time, waiting time. It's being faithful in in the little things. We we have to start at the beginning, Not, not our beginning, God's beginning. We don't start out top of the hill. God takes us down. It had to start with salvation, amen? It had to start with all my sins were washed away separated as far as the east is from the west, cast it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be brought up again. It had to start with old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Old things may have passed away, but I didn't become new overnight. Old habits die hard. It, it takes a while. It has to start somewhere at the beginning. It is God that trains us up and works us up. And, and even if, if, if we know how mighty Elijah is, anybody know how powerful Elijah is? The prophet of God, Elijah, called down fire. Elisha says, I have a double portion of that. As a matter of fact, if you study the miracles of, of Elisha, you'll find they're almost identical twins to the miracles of Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, he's probably the most powerful man that ever walks on two feet on this planet. But he started, he was a farmer. He was plowing a field, and Elisha anointed him. He burned his plows, and and he sacrificed his oxen. He broke all ties of everything that connected him to the world. He said, God, I'm going to follow you. And he was a water boy until he became a warrior. God will do the same thing in you and I. God has the same exact thing in store for you. And I want to talk a little bit more about that tonight. I want to talk a little bit more about life tonight. I better leave that alone. I've been preaching. I had to go and study something else to preach tonight. That's why I don't usually study before the evening. I don't study evening messages because I'm bad to preach them in the morning. We're just going to leave that alone. God, God has something in store for you. If you're serving in a ministry, praise God, keep on serving. Keep your eyes open, heart open, ears open. You have no idea what God has in store for you eventually through that ministry. If you're not in a ministry yet, please go home and pray. Sign up for something. Get in something. Keep a baby. You say, that's not a ministry. Yeah, go try it. They all come back out alive, and most of them still got hair. That's a miracle. <laughs> There's miracles going on down that hall every day. All the children workers say, glory to God, amen. Ain't that the truth? Bless them. Whatever it is, if you're not and he's alive, sign up and he's alive. If, if you're the water boy of Elisha and he's alive, pour the water well over his hand. If, if you're the servant, then, then be a good servant. If you're Barabbas, get kicked off the stage, good, right? Carry bruises. Sign up. Just let God use you. God put you here with a plan in place, and there's an absolute plan, and God could turn anybody in here into an Elisha. But it's got to begin at the beginning. God, where do you want me to serve? God, what do you want me to do next? If you're content where you are, that's because God's allowing you to be content. God will let you sit on shelves for seasons, but eventually God will move you off the shelf to the next step. Pastor Freeman, you say, is always the next step. There's always a next step. God will work us into an area, and it seems hard until we get there and get content. But when you get content, you might want to have a suitcase close by. Not to move physically, but to move spiritually. God's got another level. I want to ask you, if you would, if you guys go ahead and stand where you are. I want to ask you Christians, just be praying, God, what would you have me to do? If you're in the place that God wants you to be, and you know it, just spend some time thanking God. Thank you for giving me a ministry to serve in. Thank you for letting me do what I do. Thank you for letting me have any part in the family of God whatsoever. I want you to take just a minute and pray. If you're, if you're in here, if you're out there, if you're listening to live stream, if you've never been saved, the first step has to be salvation. You can't be in the family of God till you've been redeemed of the Lamb of God. So you're willing to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart, forgive me my sin, save my soul. That's not a little magic poem you get to repeat. That's not some cute little something. That's to surrender my heart to God. I am a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I am lost and separated from God. I need to be saved. God, I want to surrender my heart to you. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus Christ to cleanse me in the blood of the Lamb of God. Save my soul. Restore my relationship with God. And then give me something to do for your glory. not a person listening anywhere right now that can't be saved right now. Go ahead and sing, God.